Howdy. Howdy. That's good. Well, um, let's pray. We ask, um, Spirit of God, who gives us confidence that we are sons of God and causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, that you would come do the work in the company of Jesus, our brother and God, our Father, and fellow sons. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, we have, uh, we've talked about a lot of things, I think, so far, and we're, we're coming to, to an end. We've got one time, well, I've got one session after this. We have time for testimony and worship tomorrow as well, but just by way of recap, we, we did talk about the lesson of the garden that God has gifted you with manhood and masculinity and many other things, gifted you with a calling to bear God's image and to recognize that image in others, gifted you with the calling to friendship, relationship, sometimes deep covenantal friendship, uh, gifted you with uh, the, the call to exercise dominion, not domination, dominion, and to go forth. Yeah. And we talked this morning about uh, the lesson of the struggle, that what sin has done to this gifting is it's, it's really robbed us of the gifting. So everything feels like a fight. Everything feels like a competition. Everything feels like a, a performance, an opportunity to win or to lose, and how precarious that makes everything feel. But, uh, you know, the real lesson of the struggle is that God loves you enough to prevent you from struggling. He can wound in such a way that the, that the healing can begin. And that crippling is the doorway by which genuine Christianity really does start. I do want to say something about it this morning. Because I was walking back with a friend of mine, and his name is Ned Simmons. And, I, and a lot of you know him. Uh, he's, he's been a kind of a father in Christ to me, and actually to a lot of people in the diocese. Um, and Ned and I were talking about the, the struggle and one of the things he said to me was, uh, you know, you go to the cross, and, you, and the cross does the work, and sometimes it hurts. And he said, but you know, you're not done with the cross. You have to go back. And uh, I certainly don't want you to think when I talked about the struggle this morning that, that I have somehow arrived at, you know, I had the great struggle and it's over. There are many left. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a one-off, but God is doing a work in the struggle, and, uh, and there's more to come. kind of makes me shake a little bit to think that there's more to come, but it'll be good. It'll be good when it happens. I want to talk to you, um, I want to talk with you now about a lesson that you learned by the riverside, and it's the lesson of the baptism of Jesus and it puts a picture in front of us about the way that God loves his son. But what I hope to show you is it puts a picture in front of you of, how, of the way that God plans to love you as well. 
There's an old Chinese proverb. I don't know if you ever heard it. Uh, tiger father begets tiger son. Roughly equivalent, by the way, to our own saying, a chip off the old block. It, uh, it can be a compliment. Like when a young boy displays the father's winsome sense of humor or leadership abilities or athletic skill. My wife never met my father. My father died when I was 16. But I have a picture of my father laughing. And I loved Love my father, and I admire him, respect him very much. And my wife, she, uh, she saw me laughing one day, and she said, I never met him, but I bet you laughed just like him. I can tell from the picture. And it made my heart sore. It really did. You know, chip off the old block can be a compliment, but it doesn't necessarily need to be a compliment. Pat Conroy's father is a notoriously brutal man. I don't know if you know who Pat Conroy is, but I love this, you know, because I was an English major at the Citadel. And people are like, oh, you know, don't go to the Citadel and be an English major, you know. (laughs) Well, it doesn't matter because, you know, the the most famous graduate from the Citadel is never going to be a military man. He's always going to be an author. And his name's Pat Conroy. (laughs) And he had one thing he wrote about. Just one thing. All roads lead to this one thing. You know what it is? His relationship with his dad. Every book is about his relationship with his dad. A notoriously brutal man. Uh, the, the book, if you want to read about this, is The Great Santini. And uh, you, you just read about the devil on page one. And Conroy said, you know, dad was worse than, that, than what I wrote about in the book. I pulled my punches. His dad never owned up to the book, but he did make a real effort to amend his life in an attempt to prove the book wrong. And, you know, he did say his dad went on to become the best uncle and the best friend and the best father and the best grandfather he could be. And he died in 1996. Conroy wrote a pretty uh, complex tribute to his dad. It was called The Death of Santini. And tucked away in the acknowledgments of the book, at the end of it, there's a little note. And it says this. To my lost daughter, Susanna, the door is always open. So is my heart. Apparently, whatever deep pain and dysfunction passed from Donald to Pat slipped through Pat to Susanna. Tiger father begets tiger son. Chip off the old block is not always a compliment. Sigmund Freud said he could think of no greater need of a child than the love of his father. It's the lack of love from the father, or a heavy-handed love, that he saw as the root of many mental and emotional problems faced by modern people. More recently, a man named James Herzog coined the term father hunger to describe a son's longing and need for a father figure. Margot D. Maine linked low self-esteem in young women to the same father hunger. All that to say, psychologists and academics are just now learning what all the great poets and authors proved a long time ago, which is this. The relationship between fathers and their children can be a source of enormous blessing and also immense pain and dysfunction. I'll be reading to you from Matthew chapter 3, 13 to 17. If you want to follow along, it's the account of the baptism of Jesus. 
There are so many things we could say about it, but uh, what I want to say is that you can learn a great deal about genuine fatherhood from the baptism of Jesus. In that regard, the the passage is kind of like a, a field guide for a father's love. Not only that, but there's a feast in these verses that uh, can satisfy those who are suffering from father hunger. And we'll walk through the brief passage together. And uh, this is what I want to say about the, about the fathers, uh, the God the Father at the baptism of Jesus. He's present, and he's proud, and he's pleased. He's present, and he's proud, and he's pleased. Here's the first thing. He's He's present. The first thing we can say about the baptism of Jesus is that his father was there. Intuitively, you and I know that fathers should be there, but there's a tremendous amount of objective and scientific research that backs up the importance of a present father. For example, studies have shown children living with fathers at home tend to fare better on cognitive achievement and behavioral outcomes. Close relationships between children and their fathers have been shown to have positive outcomes for a child's psychological well-being. Children with close relationship with their fathers have lower reported problems with delinquency. They're less likely to experience poverty. The stress on the studies is not just that the father lives in the building, but that he's really present relationally engaged in the lives of the children. I saw a PowerPoint recently that was put together by uh, some folks at Paris Island to uh, help drill sergeants at Paris Island understand Generation Z who's being trained at Paris Island right now. And uh, there was a slide that really hit me. One thing about these slides is that uh, every slide shows you when the iPhone came on the scene. And that lets you know how uh, significantly the Marines think that has affected this generation. Because it is on every slide. It says, this is when the iPhone came out. The slide that stuck out to me was it said, uh, the amount of time teens spend with their parents. And what I thought, growing up in the 80s, and if you've ever read a Stephen King novel, you know, every Stephen King novel is about parents neglecting their children and getting handed over to demons. All of them. And I can remember being cut loose very early in the day as a child. Just cut loose, have fun. So I thought, what this chart's going to show me is that parents spend way more time now with their children than they did when I was growing up. Because we have helicopter parents, right? Well, what the chart showed is that uh, the, the iPhone comes out and the amount of time adults spend with their teenagers just plummeted. Now, I minister to college students, and uh, I, I see what a helicopter parent does, and, and this is what I learned from this slide as I was trying to piece together. How do you have helicopter parents who don't spend time with their children? And then it dawned on me. Every engagement that parents have with their children, if they're helicopter parents, is about performance, is about achievement is about deadlines, is about internships, is about sports, and it's about grades. That's the only reason they helicopter in, is to make sure these kids are performing. And I I can't tell you the stress and anxiety and devastation of that kind of parenting. In the building is, is not the same thing as being present. Monitoring grades is not the same as being a dad. The different 
Now, what I want you to notice about the baptism of Jesus is his father's there. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. The heavens are torn open and the Spirit of God descends. And in biblical studies, the fancy word for that, if you want to look smart at the next cocktail party, is theophany. And a theophany just means a manifestation of who God is. It's like the burning bush that appeared to Moses or the pillar of fire that accompanied the Israelites in the desert. Its overwhelming and unmistakable image is that God is here. And for Jesus, it wasn't just God is here, but for Jesus, it was my dad is here. Jesus' father came to the baptism. He was present. The presence of the Father in the life of Jesus is not a one-off event. He didn't just roll out for the big show. Jesus would say in John's Gospel that he always, always enjoyed his Father's presence. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. John chapter 8, verse 29. When Jesus faced his most difficult moments, he could rely upon the abiding presence Of his father on the night he was betrayed. He said to his disciples. All of you are going to leave me. But I won't be alone. Because my father is with me. John chapter 16 verse 32. Early in his ministry disciples asked Jesus. Could you teach us how to pray? And the prayer that he taught them. Begins like this. Our father. A few years ago, there was a German scholar doing research in the New Testament, and he argued in the history of Judaism and all the Old Testament, all the extra-biblical Jewish writings dating from the beginning of Judaism until the 10th century A.D., there's not a single reference of anyone addressing God as their father. That's exactly what Jesus wants you to do. The same father who's present to Jesus, the same father who's there for Jesus, is the Father, Jesus says, call him our Father. That's good news. I'm going to tell you why that's good news. Because some of you did not have fathers who were present. Some of you have personal experiences with the negative outcomes associated with an absent father. You don't need me to show you the studies. You were the study. You already know. Jesus says you have a father in heaven and he's always with you. Some of you might be more like me. You had a wonderful dad and I had a wonderful dad. And my father, through no fault of his own, was made absent by a brain tumor when I was 14. And he died two months before my 16th birthday. He was made absent. And I remember being... At the Citadel in the fall of 1999, reading my way through John's Gospel for the first time I'd ever read any Gospel, first time I'd ever opened a Bible, and I, and I read that I have a Father in Heaven. And it did something to me. He's present. That's good news. He's proud. This is the second thing. He's proud. This is my beloved son. That's what he says. Do you know the first thing 
that God the Father says in the New Testament. You know that that God the Father has been silent for half a millennia. And then he speaks. And do you know the very first thing he says after 500 years? This is my beloved son. It's always struck me. This is my beloved son. I'll tell you why. Because he could have said so many things. I called Moses in the desert. I split the Red Sea. I shake the mountains. This is my son. You know, when I ask uh, adults in Christian ed, you say, why do we call God the Father? The grown-ups always screw it up. They always screw it up because grown-ups get in your own head and you, out, you outthink yourself. You outfox yourself. We call him Father because he's the creator. We call him Father because he provides. He's the provider. He's the protector. All that's right. But, you know, that, you know, there's a lot of men that do those things. You don't call them dad. When do you start calling somebody a dad? Children always get this right. Why do we call him God the Father? And this is what a child will tell you, because he has a son. He has a son. Those of you with children, you, you know that the moment you have a child, you undergo a dramatic shift in identity. Before you had children, you might have been a young and up-and-coming big-shot attorney. You might have been an all-star tennis pro. You might have... Uh, been the guy that went to Harvard. But when you have children, all of your accomplishments, everything you put on your resume fades quickly into the background the moment you show up in the pickup line. You're Genevieve's dad. I don't even have a first name anymore. Now I'll tell you something, it doesn't bother me. Because I love being Genevieve's dad. I love it. Now, what happens at the baptism? God's works of creation, of salvation, his plagues, his fiery judgments, his power, his victories, his resume recedes totally into the background. Totally into the background. And in an instance of divine self-revelation, he's simply known as Jesus' dad. Doesn't even get a name. He's Jesus' dad. Unlike fathers on earth who become fathers when they have children, the Bible teaches us that God has always been a father. Because he's always had a son. It's like the way the Navy hymn famously put it, He's the eternal father. He's strong to save. He doesn't need to learn how to be a father. He doesn't need to go through an adjustment period. He has always been a father. And the father who's president Jesus' baptism, who's happy for all things to recede into the background, except his fatherhood is our father, who art in heaven. Now here's the last thing. He's, he's present... You see, he's proud. And then the last thing I'll say to you about it is he's pleased. 
he speaks. And what he says is enormously important. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. I don't know if you saw a few years ago, uh, Pat Conroy died as well. He died at the age of 71, and uh, I've already mentioned to you one of the themes he returned to over and over again was his father, Donald Conroy. And uh, he wrote a little article in Parade Magazine. I, I think it was the most wrenching thing he ever wrote about his father. He wrote in Parade Magazine. And it's, uh, it's an article about the dying days of the great Santini. When my father began his quick, slippery descent into death, what I missed most was fixing his lunch. He was now at Kathy's house in Beaufort. My brothers and sisters drove from all directions to sit six-hour shifts at his bedside. We learned that watching a fighter pilot die is not an easy thing. One morning, I arrived from my shift to relieve my sister Carol and heard screaming coming from the house. I raced inside, and I found Carol screaming at Dad in an ancient, piteous voice. Dad, you've got to tell me you love me. You have got to tell me you're proud of me. You have to do this for me before you die. I walked Carol out of the bedroom and sat her down. I said, Carol, Dad's dying. He's not going deaf. You don't have to scream at him. She said, he's never told me he loves me. Or that he's proud of me. Not once in my whole life. You need to hear that. You need to hear it. The world is pretty desperate to be loved. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's pretty desperate to be loved. And through that love, somehow, to discover a sense of your self-worth. And your dignity. But the history is full of opportunities. Failed opportunities to love well. I'm sure if any of us had had a similar experience with Carol Conroy needing and not receiving the life-giving words of love, we would have screamed too. And you might have done so. But the Father doesn't miss the opportunity at the baptism of Jesus. This is my beloved Son. I am well pleased with Him. There's never a day during Jesus' entire life when He could say what Carol Conroy said. He never told me He loves me. He's never told me he's proud of me. Because of the baptism of Jesus, God the Father says, I love you, and I'm well pleased with you. I was at a baseball game with my son. It was a tournament. And uh, it was the last game of the tournament. And I remember watching this young man. He, he had had a hard day out all day long. And his father was, was absolutely upset that his father was struggling so much. And he was yelling at his son from the bleachers. Come on, Tim! Come on! Be a hitter! Well, this young man, he, he hit. He got on first and he made it to second. There was a boy on third. And I don't know what happened to Tim, but he tried to steal third when there was somebody on it. They threw him out, and it ended the match. And I watched his father stand up, and he threw his hat on the ground. 
And the wife looked at him and said, it's time for some tough love, isn't it? And I watched that man march out onto the field and dress his son down in front of everybody. Time for some tough love. I get it. I do get it. Because I deal with college students. I know that fathers and mothers are enormously anxious. Is my son going to launch? And when it looks like they might not, you think it's time for some tough love. Time for a kick in the pants. It was pretty plain to me why this boy played poorly all day. Because when everything is a test to see whether your father's going to be proud of you or not, you're anxious and stressed the whole day. The whole day. I was uh, rock climbing in Wales. One of the ways we paid the bills when I lived in England, because we were, we were like a lot of newlyweds, my wife and I. We were dirt poor. Um, one of the ways we paid the bills is kind of a weird career path, but I was a rock climbing instructor. And we would take inner city kids out into the, into the countryside, and we'd rock climb with them. And they would have these kind of scary experiences, and it would bond them and open them up. We'd share Jesus with them in the evening. And uh, I remember we were climbing in Wales, and it was, this, it was a sheer cliff, about 100 feet tall, just a sheer cliff. And we would get up top and set an anchor and then throw the rope down. They'd get tied in, and then they'd climb up the cliff. Everybody got to the top of the cliff. We made sure of that. Some of them looked better than others. Some of them were so frightened by the height that they screamed, and we literally had to drag them up by their face up the side of the cliff. Some of them climbed pretty well. Do you know the difference between the ones that, that did not climb well and the ones who did climb well? The ones who climbed well trusted we had them. And that made all the difference in the world. So there's this, there's this idea that, it, that, you know what, Johnny's not going to launch unless he knows the stakes are high. And all you're doing is making sure that if he does get to the top, you're going to drag him kicking and screaming. He's going to be a mess by the time he gets there. You give him confidence. You're clipped in. I'm not going to let you go. You can do this. And they climb. So I'll tell you something about Jesus at his baptism. He's a 30-year-old man, and he's unemployed. He has no dating prospects. Nobody is matching him on the dating app. And he's homeless. I wonder how many men in the room would have the confidence to say to their 30-year-old, homeless, unmarried son, I'm well pleased with you. Because that's what the father said to Jesus. I'm well pleased with you. I'm well pleased with you. And then you know what he does? He sends him on walkabout. That's what comes right after the baptism. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert so that the devil could test him. Jesus had gone without eating for 40 days and nights. He's very hungry and he does battle with the devil. You know why he had the confidence to go out into the desert 
and battle with the devil because he knew he didn't have to earn his father's love. He was already loved. He was already clipped in. He did battle with the devil. Because love actually gives young people confidence to do amazing things. And even the Son of God needs the love of the Father to do these amazing things. I had a problem at my house recently, a couple of years ago. And the problem was a mother in the neighborhood called me and said, uh, my son got bullied at your house. Boy, that really bothered me. So I asked my boy, I said, hey, I heard, I heard this happened. Did it happen? He said, yeah. Yeah, he comes over and he, and he bullies this kid. And uh, I said, did you do anything about it? He said, I did not do anything about it. What am I supposed to do about it? And I said, buddy, uh, if I'm not around, this is your house. And people need to be respected at our house. And they need to be loved at our house. And uh, if I'm not around, it's your job to make sure people don't get bullied at our house. What do I do? I said, tell him to stop. Dad, he's not going to stop. Could you come out? I'm not going to come out. You do it. What am I supposed to do? I said, by God, put him on the ground. Well, the next day, <laughs> the next day, Stephanie, she said, it's happening. And we watched out the screen door, and I saw it. Here's this kid. He starts bullying this other kid. And my son said, you better stop that. And the kid goes, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to put you on the ground. I swear I could watch him grow inches. He just, he starts step, step. And the kid said, sorry. It's not a test. It's an invitation. I trust you. I have taught you how to do this. I love you and I'm proud of you and I know you have this in you. I'm not going to bail you out. I'm not going to do it for you. I trust you. Go do this thing for me. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. I trust you to go do this thing for me. You're going to meet the devil in the desert. By God, you put him on the ground. That's what he did. He put him on the ground. What an amazing relationship that these two have. God the Father is present. He's proud and he's pleased. He's not a helicopter dad. He trusts his son to go do this thing. And off he goes. Well, Jesus, for three years, does ministry. And it all culminates in the cross. And on the night that Jesus is betrayed, he says something really important. He said to his friends, You know, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. But I'm going to come back for you. 
That's John chapter 14, verse 18. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Do you envy the relationship that these two have? Present, proud and pleased, trusted and commissioned. Do you envy that? Well, what does Jesus say? You don't have to envy it because I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to come back for you. And the next day he's crucified. And according to one gospel, some of his last words were these. It's finished. What's finished? What in the world is finished? I'll tell you what's finished. Jacob had a struggle with God and he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And Jesus on the cross says, I'm not going to let go until you let us bless you. We're not letting go till it's finished. There's an essay by Emerson. I don't know if you've read it. It's an essay on gift giving. It makes him sound really grumpy. Emerson, he says, uh, I really hate Christmas time because at Christmas I have to buy people gifts. What a jerk. (laughs) Not really. Because what Emerson said is it's easy to buy gifts for people you don't care about. I'm thinking of the office party. We just hired Jim, and Jim's my secret Santa, and I'm going to get Jim a $10 gift certificate to Chick-fil-A because I'm a Christian, and and Jesus blesses the Lord's chicken at (laughs) Chick-fil-A. It's so easy. Which he does. Yeah, thank you. But boy, I tell you, I hate buying gifts for my wife. Because she means so much to me and I can't find anything on a shelf that I can, I can buy her to communicate. Same for the kids. It's just hard. Close friends. I hate buying gifts for people that mean something to me. And what Emerson, he said in, in the essay, he said, Don't give me a ring. That's an excuse for a gift. It's not a gift. The only gift you can give me to show me you love me is yourself. You have to bleed for me. So I want you to remember what the lie was. He's holding out on you. He can't be trusted. How how does a father undermine the lie that he's holding out on you? He gives you everything he has in public until he has nothing left to give you. What did Jesus mean when he said it's finished? He meant here we are. We have given you everything we have. We have nothing left to show you. There's nothing left to give you. We have given you everything that we have. And if you behold Jesus Christ on the cross as God gives you everything he has, you know what you can't say? You can't say what Carol Conroy said. You can't say, he never told me he loves me. You can't say it. Because Jesus on the cross is the announcement 
that he loves you. And he sends the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God, Paul says, does not make us slaves who are afraid. Instead, we become God's children. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to do something tomorrow that's going to get you adopted. And you will have a father who's present. And you will have a father who's proud. You will have a father who's pleased. And you will have a father who trusts you enough to send you out and say, do this thing. I know you can. That's the lesson of the river. Is that the relationship that Jesus has with his father has become the relationship you have with his father. And there's a group of sons here that he is perfectly willing to say, all you really need to know about me, the most important thing you need to know about the creator of the universe is that's my son and I'm well pleased with him. That's my son too. I'm well pleased with him. That's my son. I'm well pleased with him. That's my son. I'm well pleased with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, um, I pray for two people, really. I pray for those that do not know the good news of Jesus Christ. And we pray that right now, the Spirit of God would come and convict them of the truth of what we're saying. That Jesus has not left us as orphans, but has invited us into the holy family of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the communion of saints. And we pray, Lord, if those are here who don't know you, I pray that they would take, take the brave step of, of sharing that with somebody and saying, help me know this man, Jesus Christ, so that I can be a child of God. And I pray for those of us who do know you, that you would remind us afresh of the privilege of being uh, not a servant, not a slave, but a brother to Jesus of Nazareth and a son of God Almighty, indwelt by a spirit that makes us cry out, Abba, Father. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you, Rob. We're about to have some-